Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to Eurowatch, the number one show on this summer's Euros. You must have heard of us by now. I'm joined by my ever wonderful host, Ritik Sakar. Ritik, how are you doing this morning, mate? I'm doing good, Alex. Thank you for asking. <laughs> wonderful to hear, Ritik. And today we are joined by a special guest, a writer and presenter for Get Italian Football News. You might have heard him from the Get Italian Football News podcast. It is Jake Smalley. Jake, how are you doing today, mate? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be uh, talking Italian football with you both this evening. Jake is here to fill us in on the Serie A knowledge that me and Ritik, mainly me, uh, lack a bit. Obviously, I focus mainly on French football in different areas. And we did do an Italian episode a few months ago that went pretty well. But uh, we've we've come equipped, we've come stocked with ammo, with the best expert we can find. And Jake, I've read a bit of your work. I've listened to some of your podcasts. So I'm pretty excited uh, to get uh, to get the to get the goods. Uh, Ritik, have you got? What did you want to start? We were going to touch on some of the players in the team. I know you've got the more detailed question list, as always. Where did you Where did you want to start off with, Jake? Um, yeah, Jake. So where I probably want to start off with is um, on a broader scale. We've seen Mancini integrate a bit more of youth into the national team setup you know we the good thing is we we're seeing a lot of players who aren't explicitly uv players uh come into the side and really stake their claim one of my worries that i had is you know how um strikers win you games but defenses win you championships and looking at the you know the past couple of uh games um mancini's chopped and changed his defense a lot i wanted to get a bit of your take on where you feel Italy would probably be most balanced in defense. I know, you know, we have um, players like Romagnoli. We have uh, players like um, um, Bonucci, you know, two completely different sides of the age equation and the experience equation. You know, you have people like Davide Calabria, but you also have people like uh, Alessandro Florenzi. So I was trying to um, gauge a bit about how confident you are about Italy's defense, the options they have, and, you know, who would you like to see, you know, start together? Where do you think Italy, Italy's defense can be the most strong? Well, you've worried me a little bit there because you've mentioned Milan plays and Juventus plays, and uh, I'm, I'm an Inter Milan supporter, so that's really, really disappointing. You've got a <laughs> pretty bad start there, to be honest with you. People like Calabria. Uh, I think if we're talking about the Oman national team, maybe Calabria. Um, of no, course, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a complete Bastoni fan. This was just at the top of my This was just from the top of my head. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. No, genuinely, I think you mentioned Bastoni there, and for me, he's, he's got to start. Uh, he's been absolutely outstanding, and given that he's still so young as well. It's a really promising sign. You've got the likes of Chiellini and Bonucci, who have been amongst the best centre-backs in Europe for the best part of the last decade. And it seems a little bit like the club side Juventus. They are starting to come to an end a little bit, but I think both of those could still go in the summer and have a little bit of an impact. But um, looking in centre-half, they, they still have pretty strong depth. I think Romagnoli's been sort of likened a bit to the Italian Harry Maguire. You know, some weeks you see him and he looks pretty strong. He looks excellent. And other weeks, there's question marks asked. But in all honesty, he's a really good defender. Um, you've got Francesco Cherby as well from Lazio. He's very strong. Uh, so they, they do have some quality in there. Plays with a little bit of experience as well, uh, making up for the fact that Bastoni is probably not as experienced. You know, so I think defence and striker are the two positions that will take the most sort of conversation as they lead more up to the tournament. I think if you look in the midfield, I'm sure we'll get onto that a little bit later. Is is a very strong area with that team. 
So for me, I think I'm, I'm going to push Bastoni definitely from an Inter point of view. But I think he's just the whole package. I think you're talking about pace, um, size. He's, he's good in the tackle as well. He can play on the deck. So he's a really exciting player, and it'll be a good opportunity for him this summer to get himself out on the uh, on the world stage. And people who don't watch Italian football will then be able to see what a really good defender he is. That was yeah, really no. sorry, Rita. I just want to say that's really insightful because I love I love the setup we currently have right now. Because Rita, you watch a bit of Italian football. Jake, you've obviously watched all of it. I watch none. And I, I, I've heard of Bastoni, and I've just gone and transfer-marked. And I've seen these values, £45 million. Pounds, That's a trans- very low value. I think Bastoni is definitely worth more than that. So, well, for transfer-marked, that's a huge value. But yeah, so it probably is a lot higher. So He's a left-footer as well. I think that's a massive caveat right, really. for him. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, just uh, Richard, you might have it wrenching down, because I've looked at the different... Um, defenses. I've looked at the different defenses Mancini uses, and Acherby, you mentioned him there for Lazio. He does tend to start a lot. Jake, what, what sort of player is Acherby? Because I've never really heard of him. I've heard of Bastoni, but would you say Bastoni starts over Acherby? Uh, I'd probably say so. I think it might be quite a nice partnership to play together as well, but then you're talking about leaving Benucci, Chiellini out place like that, who've sort of been there and done it. Um, on the sort of grander stage, almost without winning a Champions League, haha. <laughs> uh, but um, I think <laughs> I think Acherby's a proper old school defender. I think um, he plays in a, a a pretty decent Lazio side, but in a side where he's probably the best defender by some distance as well. I think uh, any watch of Serie A know Lazio have got a pretty strong setup. Players like Milinkovic Savic, Alberto. Uh, Immobile, but defence a real weak spot for them, except for him. And he can count himself a little bit unlucky because he was born at a similar time to the like of Bonucci and Keeley and Barsaglia as well, going back a couple of years. He's 33 now, Acherby, but he's had a bit of a strange career. He, he, he came through and played at Kievo, went to Milan, didn't really work out. He had a back with testicular cancer as well, which not a lot of people know. Yeah, you know remember, Sassuolo remember. Had, had a pretty impressive time at Sassuolo as well. And on the back of that, he got himself a move to Lazio. And last season, he was earning rave reviews for his performances when Lazio were right at the top of the league. So he's a really good, solid, no-nonsense defender, despite the fact that he's sort of getting on a little bit. He's almost reaching his peak over the last 18 months or so, for me, I'd say anyway. I think Acherby is also, I mean, a parallel you can look at it, obviously, the medical side aside is, you look at someone like Scott Parker was for, you know, I think two tournaments or three tournaments ago for England. Um, He finally got the national recognition once he moved to Spurs, but he was a very strong player for a while. But, um, you know, he was in that in and around that generation of the Gerrards and the Lampards uh, where he couldn't really break in, although he, he ought to have come in sooner. But, you know, he's got he got his time at a later age. So you say, Jake, you were saying about the forward line as well, Euritic. I mean, I, there's a lot of forwards that obviously have been around for a while in terms of Insigne in the front line and you've and Immobile. I, I was I wanted to ask a bit of a direct thing, Jake, because I outside of Italy, I watch Moise Ken a lot for um, PSG and he's been really good this season. And obviously Immobile, I think the stereotype for him is that he flops whenever he's outside of Europe. Is Immobile the right guy to lead the line for Italy? And what what about the other players? How has Insigne been? How's uh, Bernadeschi been? I know Rittick's got some more direct questions about Chiesa. What do you think the front line of Italy? Like, what what are the sort of how are the players that are usually we ser- uh, we associate with the Italian front line? How have they been getting on in Syria? Uh, I think your biggest question mark, and I think you could ask any Italian football fan and. 
Italians uh, more to speak is that striker slot because Mancini tends to play 4-3-3 and uh, out wide you've got a number of really strong options like Insigne you've got Domenico Berardi as well at Sassuolo who's often under underlooked you've got Riccardo Orsolini who's been called up recently of Bologna El Shirawi's now back playing in Italy Berardeschi and Chiesa that you've uh, just mentioned as well but it's that striker slot and it's a real problem uh, in Serie A Immobile is absolutely unbelievable you know, he's hit 30, got six goals last season, a number of penalties. Uh, you've also got Andrea Bellotti in there, but could be controversial. But this slot, really, if we were to go back sort of maybe five, ten years ago, everybody would have expected to have been held by Mario Balotelli. And we know how that's ended up. So mm. this is where the problem is. If Balotelli had realised his potential, we wouldn't have had a question to ask because he'd be the man leading this Italy team into this competition. But it is really difficult, I think, Bellotti and Immobile are the two best Italian strikers in Syria, but when it comes to international football, they've not hit any sort of heights yet. It's, it's been really disappointing. Bellotti's managed 10 international goals in 31 caps, which isn't too bad, but he plays in a really struggling side. And you've got Immobile, 42 caps, 10 goals. So there's another man who's sort of staking a bit of a claim recently, Francesco Caputo of Sassuolo as well. He's... Mm. He's got two caps. He scored in one of those two games as well. He's a real late bloomer, almost a bit Jamie Vardy-esque. He's never played at um, top flight football until he's come over 30. So he's an option of someone that they might want to think of um, for the Euros as well. So that is that is definitely the biggest problem slot, that striker role. Um, but Moise Keane's making that um, maybe potentially his own as well. I don't think anybody expected him to do as well as he has done. I definitely did. No, I think I think it's been a real strange one. He, he came through at Juventus, you know, the season before the last, and he looked really good. And it was strange to see him go to Everton, but I think part of that was to raise a bit of money for Ronaldo, and it just didn't work at Everton. I think the culture maybe didn't suit him; it just didn't quite work out. Mm. But at PSG's, he's absolutely on fire. So I think going off current form, he might have that um, that striker's role. Really? Yeah, I think so. I think the manager's really keen on trying to push Moise Keane and he's even liked the idea of Pietro Pellegri, who's at Monaco. He's even called him up before now and he's had no end of injury problems since he signed for Monaco. I mean, when he came for Jenner as a 16-year-old, it was it was thought of that he'd go on to be the, you know, the leading light of the generation. He's just Injury-wise, he's been knocked back, but he still managed to get himself a call-up to Italy. He's barely played for three years. So I think Mancini does like this idea of if it doesn't matter on age, if you're good enough, he'll pick you. So I, I think Moise Kane will be the starting striker at the Euros at, at the moment. And I'm really pleased for him. Uh, you know, being from England, you know, seeing him last year, he was almost laughed at a little bit in the English press. And mm. I felt really sorry for him. I thought, you know, you're expecting a young boy to come over to Everton. A lot of pressure on him. You know, they, they've not had a striker since they got rid of Lukaku. You know, big 30 million price tag. I think it was a little bit harsh how he was treated, especially in that particular game where Darren Ferguson brought him on and subbed him off. But, you know, he was, he was oh, almost God, laughed out for that. <laughs> so, uh, Duncan Ferguson, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I think, I think, Jake, you, you make a very interesting point like one other thing i wanted to ask uh, at the add about moisa ken is that out of all of the players and you know england gets a lot of flack for english players not leaving their country i believe the similar thing could be said about italy i mean you know barring people like marco verratti tiago Mata, obviously of before and salvador Sirigo, is that italians really haven't gone out of their comfort zone and done well and i think ken, moisa ken is a young player 
he's a very young player and he's had two stints outside and he's now really staking his claim you know amongst people amongst people like uh, Mauro Icardi in a strike set set up of Neymar and Mbappe he's finding his own he's carved out his own niche and he's being trusted by he was trusted by Tuchel now he's being trusted by Pochettino so i think it's very good, it's it's very important to point out that someone who has experience in a different league can add a whole lot of value to a setup when they're maybe preparing for an international tournament and that's that's primarily why i would also love to see moisa ken in um you know the um italian national side possibly starting like that would be that would be great damn um, i mean as the league earn writer here, Moisa Keen is my usual bit, note to be. But you, you two have actually <laughs> smashed the analysis here. Like, <laughs> even even stuff about Pietro Pellegrini, like Genoa, sixteen year old. I'm 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 just sitting back and learning it all here. <laughs> I need to go outside more. That's 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 what I need to say. Oh no, no stay inside. <laughs> stay inside. This is fantastic. Not no okay, choice but okay. to stay in at the moment. To be fair, have I really? So. <laughs> Especially if the 6 p.m. curfew for men comes in in the UK. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> separate topic. I mean, before Ritik, I was going to move on to the midfield. But did you have any other questions? You, you before we were recording, you were mentioning about Chiesa, and uh, like you wanted to ask something about that. Yeah, it's it, it's it's sort of the other question I wanted to bring up to Jake is. You know, we have a lot of Italian teams who play with strong back three systems. You know, you've seen it with Inter, you see it with Lazio, you see it sometimes with, um, you know, Roma who can go to that system during games. They obviously come out of it. Mancini's got a 4-3-3 system. It's a, it's a classic system that really worked for him when he was the manager of Man City. And where I see some of the problems in the forward lineups is, you know, these uh, some of these players don't play in that front three system. Yes, people like Insigne do. But do you, do you, do you think that's, that's something that might be hindering them? Obviously, you have someone like Chiesa who's doing really well in that right wing position. And, you know, he's really made that his own and he can, you know, provide a lot of impact for Italy. But do you feel like that not like playing in a back four system versus a back three system might be hindering, you know, the way the way these players are maybe approaching the games and where people like, you know, uh, Berardi and Insigne are doing well, whereas other people who play in two striker formations might be struggling? I think in terms of Kies, I think at the start of the season, he was asked to play wing back. Um, in Perlo's system, and that was really bizarre to me because I've seen him at Fiorentina. He's he's a hundred percent a right winger. He's definitely an attacking player rather than a defensive player. So now that the season's gone on, and um, Perlo seems to play some sort of variation of four four two almost with sort of attacking uh, wide players playing him on that right hand side or sometimes on the left hand side. Uh, he's been far more effective, and recently we've seen him sort of come of age, and he played really well in the Champions League game away at Porto, despite the fact that. You've ended up getting knocked out. He scored a brilliant goal against Milan um, in the win at San Siro. And for me, Chiesa, over the last few years playing at Fiorentina, it's just been a case of, is he really going to hit the heights? Because on his day, he's an absolutely phenomenal player. He really is. And it's just been trying to get that performance level out of him week after week after week. And he seems to start seems to be starting to sort of replicate that a bit more. Because some Fiorentina fans weren't that fussed to see him go. You know, his reputation for diving lets him down a little bit. And there's no doubt that he got pushed in the public's face a little bit because of the reputation of his dad. He was absolutely outstanding player, one of my favourite players. Um, looking at the past, looking Wait, at late nineties. Who's, uh, who's his dad? I mean, I'm not sure if I'm an idiot here. Who's the famous <laughs> father? Enrico Chiesa from a Parma Fiorentina attacker. Ah. From, from yeah, UEFA Cup winner with uh, Parma. 
and yeah, the 90s. Deadly partnership with Hernan Crespo up front for Palmer. Yeah, and he was part of that '94 um, World Cup final team, right? The yeah. the Amer- the American um, the American World Cup, obviously infamous for the Baggio penalty miss. But yeah, the Baggio Italy, tournament. <laughs> yeah, the Baggio tournament. But he was he was like I, I I looked through like historical tournaments of that, and Italy played yeah. amazing. And yeah, his his dad definitely played a very important uh, role in that. Yeah, he's, he was an absolutely excellent player. It does seem a little bit as if um, Chiesa Jr. is starting to really hit the heights. But going back more to your question of uh, formations, I think it definitely is a benefit that players like Berardi and uh, Insigne do play in that system already. But I think a number of those players that play in those positions that Italy probably would look to take, like Bernardeschi, Chiesa, both played in those systems previously. And they played a similar variation to one now at Juventus. They played in one before at Fiorentina. And I mentioned him a little bit earlier, but I really like Riccardo Orsolini from Bologna. I think he's a really good player. Um, he's He's got two caps, he's got two goals so far for the national side. So he's he's not scared of uh, performing at a decent level. And he's a Juventus product, product as well. Um, I'd expect him to be playing for a more sort of reputable Serie A club in the next few years. And another player who I didn't think I'd ever say this about, given the fact that I've seen him play for Inter for quite a while, but he seems to have gone up another level at Napoli, is Matt, uh, Matteo Politano, um, former Sassuolo winger. Um, he's He can play a 4-3-3, he's proved it at Napoli. And he, I don't know what it is, but Gattuso seems to get more out of him, so he'd be a player that can play in that system. But it's a bit of an embarrassment of riches in the Italy squad, really. And I think, whereas if you look at England's national team, Team, for example, you're really looking at a problem area in that central midfield slot. You know, you talk about Declan Rice, talk about Jordan Henderson, but any of the Italy central midfielders are better than those. They walk in. They walk in. Yeah, 100%. Players like Locatelli, even Tonali would definitely probably start for England. He's not quite there yet. Verratti could get any midfield. He's he's a superb player. So there is um, almost more of a question of who is he going to play rather than thinking, you know, you could set up pretty much any position in this Italy squad. Hmm. It's just whatever variation comes out best in terms of chemistry or in terms of players who are hitting the form at the right time. I think that'll be that'll be the uh, interesting factor coming into the season. Okay, well, I was... I, I mean, you have mentioned about some of the midfielders there and I was just looking at... Um, I've got a little list down of some of the players who received the most minutes in Italy's last new UEFA Nations League games. And in the midfield, it was against Pellegrini, uh, Locatelli, and uh, Jorginho. And I, looking at Italy's midfield, I've, I, I don't watch Italy too often, but I, I do look at my stats and everything. And Locatelli just bounces off the page. and It feels like he has to play in this tournament, but obviously I don't watch him too often. So, Jake, I was going to ask, if you're picking this midfield three... Based off the, it will, will exclude any any like Jorginho or Verratti players outside of Serie A. Which players do you think play? Because obviously Sandro Tonali, someone who's been hyped for a while. Locatelli, as I was just touching on, uh, Nico Barella, Stefano Sensei. Who and like, which players do you, would you put into this team from midfield? I think Nicolò Barella goes in there straight away. I think he's probably been the best central midfield player uh, in Serie A this season. He's been absolutely outstanding. I think he walks into that team and I think potentially he might have a Scudetto in his pocket by the time they do as well. So he's someone that, for me, will definitely go into that team. I think your other slot does come down to maybe Locatelli or maybe Lorenzo Pellegrini. But I think on current form, uh, you're looking at Mamma Locatelli, I think... He's a player who, again, will use this tournament potentially as a springboard for more people to notice him playing for 
uh, Sassuolo doesn't exactly put him in the shot window too much, although they do play some excellent football. You know, they're not in a European competition, they're quite a small side. So people who maybe don't keep in touch with the league as much won't know enough about him. But the most bizarre thing is he was a Milan youth um, product and you know, coming through the system at Milan and playing for the first team and they sort of inexplicably got rid of him. And their loss has been Sassuolo's game because he's been excellent. And even this season, there's been a few mentions of Pep Guardiola watching him as a potential player that could come to Man City's side. Don't know how true those rumours are, but that's just been sort of part of the rumour. He's, he's he's a really really good player. What type of player um, is he? What type of player? Because he he pops off in dribble numbers, and sometimes I'm not sure his key passes like in the final third. I'm pretty sure that isn't bad either. But then also defensively, he seems sound. So what type of player is he for Sassuolo? He's he's pretty all action to be fair. I mean, he doesn't score many goals. He scores a few, but he's more the sort of player who connects things. He's he's good in a tackle. He's good at dictating tempo. I think that's the best thing I'd say about him. And okay. he plays even in the big games. He stands out. When Sassuolo won at Napoli in the season, he's probably the best player on the pitch. Everything comes quite easy for him. He's got a really good first touch and a really good eye for a pass. And every time you watch him, you think. How on earth did Milan get rid of him? It's it's crazy, you know, because they've ended up spending so much money almost trying to replace him. Milan look like they've got a decent settlement field now. Frank Kessie, Ben Asser when he's been fit, and Tenali's definitely a future talent. I think on Tenali. You mean, you mean Adam Driver? Yeah, Adam Driver. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> Kylo Ren. Sorry, yeah, Kylo Ren. <laughs> Kylo Ren. <in> <laughs> Kylo Ren with red lights. Yeah, uh, he's. I think he comes a bit early for Tenali this tournament for me. I think he's. He's maybe the next World Cup. He's he's coming to Milan's team. There's a bit of a fuss over the summer. You know, do Inter buy him? But Inter have got so many midfielders. They're too stacked in that area. So he goes to Milan. He's he struggled to sort of break into the team regularly, but he's starting to get a decent run there. He's looking quite good. But he did play in a Brescia team that went down with little to no fight last season as well. So he's someone who is definitely, you know, in the conversation for the tournament, he'll probably go. But I think we'll see the best of him in maybe the next World Cup or even the following Euros time. Damn, truly fascinating. I mean, Rittin, before you hop in, I mean, I'll, 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 we, I just said about Verratti and Jorginho, and I, we said Verratti could get into the midfield in the world. But hearing you d- describe Locatelli, it sounded like you were describing a better version of Jorginho. Now, listen, I've got a, I've got good repertoire of the Chelsea community, and that he's obviously Jorginho at the moment is a player they love. But if one thing he does seem to lack at times is his turn of pace, and sometimes it can be a bit defense, defensively can be caught quite easily. So, Jorginho has generally started at the base midfield, but in this Italy team, would you start maybe Locatelli, Verratti, and Barella? <sighs> Uh, it's a tough one I, I like Jorginho I'm a big fan of Jorginho when he first went to Chelsea and uh, the agenda was against him and Maurizio Sarri I, I, I'd obviously seen Napoli play before and uh, I thought well this is really unfair and if you actually there's a compilation video that I retweeted around the time and it's actually a clip of Jorginho just running games and it was at the time when he was getting a lot of stick and he was yeah. playing balls over the top and people were missing one-on-ones and it was it was a video entitled something like all these assists that Jorginho's missed out and I'm not joking this was about six months worth of action and there's like 15 chances that he creates and everyone's absolutely bashing him at the time and I was like no, 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 no. phenomenally robbed phenomenally yeah. robbed because the people in front of him couldn't couldn't I mean they just didn't have the technical nuance to like be at his level and uh, yeah, uh, Jake, Jake's right. It's it's sad to see, 
because um, when he was at when he was at uh, Napoli, you saw the trio of midfield he had with you know Mark Hamzik and Alan. It it worked like clockwork because everybody was on the same page, and I I feel like he misses that maybe a little bit at Chelsea. He missed well, yeah. Chelsea, yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely, definitely. I I just like to say I think both you are wrong. I think it's the smart decision <laughs> to replace um, a proven manager of Maurizio Sarri with an inexperienced novice in Frank Lampard and Andrea Perlo and watch your team drop off massively. I think that's the more sensible. Choice. I think it's right to bash a midfielder who's quite clearly very competent. I'm of course joking. I'm with you. I'm, I'm Jorginho. I actually, like I was saying, I think the only thing that's frustrating is that it's a bit like uh, when me and Rittick were talking about the Dutch team, there's a player there, Davy Carson. It's that if a, if a player who can run over 15 miles an hour is at top speed, and is going past Jorginho or Klaassen, they will turn into a turtle on their back and they just fall over. And it can be quite <laughs> sad to see. But, <laughs> you have, did you have any more points about uh, the midfield you wanted to ask? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much covered. I think the only, the, only, the only point that sort of worries me is that it's, it's a bit of a wider 4-3-3. Um, you know, it the midfielders do stretch quite wide to make sure there are more passing channels available. But on 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 a fast lightning counter, you know that 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 could be ruthlessly exposed. If you have a team with a tight midfield like Belgium do, you know, finding holes within that Italian midfield might not be that easy. Italy are relying a lot on skill and passing ability. But you know they're, they're, they they do maybe lack that. I hate to say that stereotypical hard man defensive midfielder that they've had ages ago. You know, with people like Gattuso, with people like Mata, and maybe missed, yeah. So obviously, like um, uh, like you look, you talked about Frank Kessier, who's in the form of his life. You know, I feel like maybe that kind of a mold of a midfielder maybe is missing in the Italian national team. But that's also not the Italian way to play. Um, so I think like that—that's the main thing about the midfield. I wanted to add, but I think there's enough quality and depth for Mancini to pick and choose and 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 come up with the right. I I trust Mancini to come up with the right solution. This tournament will be the ultimate proving ground for him because he's taken this team so far. You know they had a near flawless qualifying campaign, mm. so the midfield would definitely. Um, you know, add to that, but you know, sort of, sort of, sort of, just like um, maybe segueing into, you know, the last bit of it is, um, you know, Jake from a from a tournament perspective. Obviously, this is the you know they inexplicably missed the last World Cup. Um, from from a tournament perspective, what do Juve as a unit need to show to get you know to get the faith of the people back on their side? Because there was a huge loss of confidence. There was a huge deflation. When they didn't make the last World Cup, you know, you had you had Gianluigi Buffon crying, and obviously this is this is this is obviously we we've, we've talked so surgically about you know the players, their ability, the formations. What do Italy really need to show out there, like to to really tell them that you know this team is back? Like if they don't win it, like what 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 do they need to show? Like do they need to show you know larger grit? Do they need to show more goals? Do they need to show the fight? Because that's that's the main thing I worry about a little bit is um, you know, beyond Gucci and Chiellini, there there are few clear cut leaders in the Italian team. And going forward, who do you see you know taking up that leadership mantle? Would it be, would it be someone like uh, 
like a midfielder or would it be someone like uh, you know Acerbi who's not past it but who's reaching that period of experience like what do they have to show and where do you think um, you know the next leader will come from and just as a side question too that like, because it fits perfectly in a leadership thing uh, Jake on transfer marks um, and in other places as well Alessandro Florenzi the PSG loaned right back is listed as the Italian captain that's wrong isn't it the captaincy tends to rotate very often. I think in terms of international football, I don't think he can place as much importance on it. I'd expect by the time the tournament comes around a different captain. But obviously, given the fact that there's so much, you know, experimenting in terms of selection, um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly uh, put money on who will be captain come the time of the tournament. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily know. I think that you might expect an announcement closer to the time. But... Um, Coming back to the initial question, I think in terms of the Italian national team, it very much mirrors Syria as a whole. I think if you look at the league, obviously between the late nineties and early thousands, it went from sort of you know it was the best league in the world, definitely the best league in Europe. The best players played there, big clubs that were winning European trophies, and um, you had a really strong side that got built up. Players like Totti, Del Piero, Gattuso, De Rossi, Nesta, Maldini. These this generation of players and they eventually did cap it off over in the World Cup. But as the league started to decline, Calciopoli and things like that, you know, you, you had a massive decline in the national team and the team went from being, you know, definitely favourites going into tournaments to one that was qualifying almost based on reputation a little bit really. And going back to the 2012 team, the team that made the final of the Euros, that wasn't a great team. They had Alessandro Diamanti playing in that team. I mean, decent player, but never went, never had a, a career playing for a top team in Italy. And then World Cup 2014, they got nap time. The group stage, Euro 2016, they massively overachieved with Eder and Giaccarini playing for them. You know, I've seen Eder live for Inter and you know, I'm a Preston North End fan and I reckon he'd struggle to get in our team. So he, he was dreadful. But it, it did, because they were almost just some of their parts. Conte, in the way that he does, almost created a bit of a you know team spirit that got them through, and then not qualifying for the last World Cup was seen as a, a massive disaster. You know, the team who won the next most World Cups after Brazil, it was pretty embarrassing. But going back to my original point, before I start going off on a massive tangent and worrying until midnight, <laughs> uh, the, point, the point I'm trying to make is the team is starting to come somewhat a little bit more relevant, similar to the league. You know, there's a lot more quality in there. And I agree in terms of leadership, there is a lack of that. I'd be looking more towards Marco Verratti to be bringing that little bit of leadership. He's a player who's played at top level longer than most players in the squad other than me, Benucci Chiellini. He's a player who's as good as anyone in that team, arguably the key player in that team. I'd be looking to him for that extra bit of leadership because otherwise, like I've mentioned before, You've got a squad of players that are very much interchangeable based on form. Players like Bernardeschi could start, but he could. You would be that shocked if he didn't play in the entire tournament. You've got Insigne, who's in Syria one of the better wide players, but he doesn't quite seem to do it for Italy. So everyone else is quite interchangeable, and that does make you think you do want a leader at centre back as well. And Romagnoli's captain for Milan, so he could maybe fill that void. Uh, but I think what would be seen as a success is if they just give a really good account of themselves. They've not played in a, in the last major tournament. So I think if you've been picking, you're looking at the squad and compare it to other teams, they should be looking to reach the semi-final, I think, at, at the very least. I think they've got Ooh. a very... I think they've got a very simple group. I think Turkey, Switzerland, Wales, they should be looking to get through that group. 
Um, so I think then you you know you've got one game in the quarters. You know if the draw's nice, you know we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, who said England they got to the semis of the last World Cup? You know, beating Sweden in the quarterfinals. So it, it all depends, doesn't it? Obviously, you know on um, on the way things go, it's not always what you think yeah. on paper. So I mean, if you look at World Cup 2014, you know we were, England were in the same group as Italy. You know you had Uruguay and Costa Rica in there. Who just said Costa Rica had top that group? You don't know that. <laughs> so it, it, it's difficult. But I think they should be looking to meet the semi-finals. I think that would be a successful. Yeah, that's kind of that. That's the kind of spicy take I was looking for, Jake. Bang <laughs> on, bang <laughs> on. <laughs> well, it's it, it, it's leading to a perfect little debate to top it off because. Jake, when we we discussed in when we discussed Italy, we discussed them in the same episode. We discussed Belgium. I I I uh, touted Italy. Uh, Rittick touted Belgium. What made it interesting is that once Italy, if we assume they go past their group of Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales, and then they come up against, I believe it's the Group A second, uh, the Group B second team. Uh, they would they're most likely to meet Belgium in the quarterfinals, <laughs> and then out of one of those two teams, they will reach the semis. So I, I, what was interesting, I said they should reach the semis. Rittick persuaded me that Belgium would go through. So, Jake, let's hear your opinion. Do you reckon if they were to meet in the quarters, if they have what it takes to dispatch Roberto Martinez's Belgium side? That's a brutal question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that really is. I mean, for me, if you look on paper... Um, Belgium should be looking to win it, um, like without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, Hazard's a bit fat at the moment, but he's you know he's, he's a potential match winner when he's not on the pastries. You know, you've got Lukaku, who's probably the most explosive striker in world football at the moment. You know, you've got some real quality in that team. So that's that's a tough question. I think Belgium's um, advantage is that they're a bit more physical. I think they could bully Italy a little bit more. Um, I think, given the fact they played in the last major tournament and, and gave quite a good account of themselves as well, and also I think people have talked about this Belgian side as a bit of a golden generation for them, and you know they won't want to sort of miss this I window. Of opportunity. Been a golden generation, though. <laughs> well, this is what I mean. You know, you're talking five or six years of this team, so you know Vincent Company, nine golden players who you know they don't even play for national team anymore. Part of that, so I think they'll want to prove a point of trying to see if they can win something before. Those players start to get past it, so it's a tough question. That I think I'd be leaning more towards Belgium, just because I think physicality-wise they might lost it a little bit more. But obviously, I want Italy to go through because you know they've, they've got place in my heart, knowing the fact that I watched them most those players week in week out. I know how good they are, and I think a good advantage to me is you know a lot of people might have not seen some of these players before, and they will surprise a lot of people because there is some good footballers in Italy. I know people, you know it's. Very Premier League focused, especially in this country. Very Premier League focused, but there is some very good Italian footballers. I think technically, players like Chiesa are as strong as some of those in Europe. But I just think that Belgian team, a bit more experienced, a bit more nous. I think will probably just edge them for me. Wow, I think I think to top it off then, because I think that that was an interesting case and a nice set of points. I know you're leaning to Belgium there, but. I say the nice way to end this because we've got when we when we discussed this last time, right, Ritik, it was just me and you saying our points, and then eventually I kind of caved towards you. We've got three people here now. I say we go for each of us in a short sentence and say where we think Italy will finish, and whoever's got the, and we'll, we'll pick the one that's most likely. So, Jake, just to finish off then properly, where where do you think Italy will finish in the Euros? 
<laughs> no, I want them to do better, but I think quarterfinals. I think quarterfinals for sure. I think they'll definitely make the way out of the group. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to say quarterfinals, straight bat. Okay, before Ritik, before I ask you, I'll go, I'm going to give my own thing. I'm, I'm going to stick to gut because Jacob, listen to what you're saying, especially of these different midfielders and play and the forwards that I don't know as much about. And I think the midfield is so stacked that I'm going to say Italy go for into the semi-final. So Ritik. It's down to you, the vote. Where will Italy... It's down to you right now. It doesn't matter what Roberto Mancini does this tournament. It's down... you, you're deciding right now. Where do Italy finish in the Euros? Third place on the third and fourth place playoff. Oh! I think, I, think, I think Italy are the wild card. I think Italy are the dark horses. And I don't think people will pay too much attention to them and they'll just strike when they least expected it. This team I, I mentioned I mentioned it with I mentioned it with England. This team has a lot of potential. It's incumbent upon the manager to do it. And this is the difference between Gareth Southgate and Roberto Mancini. I said Gareth Southgate uh, doesn't know um how good he has it. I think Mancini knows perfectly. Oh that was spicy takes well We've, there we go. We've got the football Italian football expert on, only for both of us to disagree with him. No, <laughs> Jake, it's been absolute pleasure having you on. Is there anything you'd like to promote? Any, any links you want to uh, want to send some people who we'll watch this to go to? Eh, not, not particularly. Just all the work we do and get Italian football news. You know, that's that's the, that's the stuff that we try and put out there a lot. We've got a podcast ourselves that we're sort of trying to get off the ground a little bit. And you know, if you're into Italian football or you know, you might have liked it in the past, you know, give it a chance again because it's better than what you think. That's all I'm going to say. There we go. There we go. And please, please do as a as a member of the the Get Football family over at Get French Football News. It's always they, we we have a good collection. Of stuff here, so do go do go and check it out. It's a good way to it's a good way to check it up, especially these leagues like Syria and Liga and in from English perspective. So it's always good. Uh, wow, Ritik, you know what? I I, I intro it. I'll let you outro it as I know you had a good intro prepared. So I'm just going to put you <laughs> on the spot now. Well, despite despite an impending lockdown on May 15th on uh, March 15th, whenever you might be hearing this. Despite an economist being their prime minister, despite the chaos of all these restrictions and the and the <laughs> denial of vaccines running rampant in Italy, the Italian football team should be a welcome bit of good news for the people of the mighty nation. And I would love to just see them do take on from here and do even better. You came up with that on the spot, Jesus! I just—I was just going to say thank you for listening, but there we go. It's really emotional as well. I love That's what football brings out in us, and I feel like that's always a good way to, uh, you know, leave the people at the end of it. As uh, get them riled up, get them feeling about this, because when we when we when we all feel about football, either positively or negatively, we're all we're all in the same we're all in the same circus. Unless it's Gareth Southgate and we're going out on the course. <laughs> thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Check our links in the description. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much.